Today's podcast is brought to you by Sukup Manufacturing. Sukup is the world's largest family-owned and operated manufacturer of grain storage, grain drying and handling equipment, and steel buildings. Learn more at sukup.com. That's S-U-K-U-P.com. The drought in the Northern Plains has launched wheat numbers onto center stage in the July WASDE. But what does this midsummer report mean for the season to come? That's today on Field Posts. is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. The July WASD that dropped Monday, July 12th, takes into account both the June 30th acreage report updates as well as looming weather factors. Today, DTN's Todd Holtman joins us to unpack the bullish news that report discussed and talk about how the market is reacting to this report and to factors well outside its scope. We'll talk more about the decline in soybean prices over recent weeks and what that could mean for both beans and other grains in the months to come. Then we'll discuss livestock market impacts, inflation risk to the broader economy, and what farmers should be watching in the future, right after this word from our sponsor. Control your harvest, control your cost, and increase your profit. Sookup Manufacturing is here to help you do it. Sookup offers a full line of bins ranging from small on-farm storage bins to large commercial tanks, including our 2.2 million bushel bin, the world's largest free-span bin. All Sookup bins are constructed from high-grade steel. Visit sukup.com to find your local Sookup dealer today and learn how we can help you store now and profit later. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us today to discuss the July world supply and demand estimates. And Todd, I wanted to, since this was kind of a weird month, I wanted to flip our structure a little bit and start talking about kind of the big surprise maybe of the report. Let's start with wheat. What's happening with wheat right now? Yes. Well, uh, it's specifically spring wheat, and it has a lot to do with drought in the northwestern plains. And uh, so we did get the kind of the first year of production estimates for spring wheat yesterday, and they came in much lower than expected. Other spring wheat at 345 million bushels. That's down over 200 million bushels from a year ago and roughly 100 million bushels below what the trade was expecting. But given how bad the drought situation is in North Dakota and Montana and the whole Northwestern Plains region, uh, I can't say it was a shock to anybody. I think the surprise was that USDA acknowledged it so quickly. Usually they're kind of gradualists about those things. Yeah. So you mentioned not being not super surprising for folks, but, you know, was the the extent of the kind of reduction a surprise? How did the markets take, you know, this information as it came through? Yeah. Well, of course, we had a very bullish day uh the September Minneapolis wheat closed up 43 cents on the day and posted a new closing high for that contract. Um, so we're up uh, very close to the 2017 high levels. And frankly, this weather situation looks much more serious than what we experienced in 2017. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if we don't have uh, probably farther to go 
uh, on that. So that surprise did come through. In the general wheat estimates, obviously the ending stocks came in lower than expected, uh, thanks to the spring wheat factor there. And so it did have a kind of a, a, a robust bullish effect on both Chicago and Kansas City wheat contracts. Also, the Kansas City wheat contract closed up 21 and a quarter cents on the day, kind of uh, tagging along the bullish influence on the spring wheat. Well, and as we look kind of abroad and and try to capture this kind of global wheat picture, how does this, does this change our perspective significantly? Or is this kind of in line with the longer term view that we had for wheat for the next several months? Well, it sets up a kind of a growing contrast between the U.S. and the rest of the world, because other, the world's other major wheat regions have really looked uh, generally favorable so far uh, this year. USDA did make a slight reduction to, to some of the crop estimates, including Russia, uh, yesterday. But by and large, they still seem on track for successful crops. It's here in the U.S. Our supplies, you know, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about billion bushel uh, carryouts every year. Well, now we're down to 665 million bushels. That's the lowest ending stocks estimate for U.S. wheat in eight years. So uh, we, we're starting to develop a tighter situation here uh, versus the rest of the world. I want to bring this into the the context of the other uh, crops. Of course, we did the one of the big changes we saw coming into this July WASD was just we had that we had the acreage report at the end of June. So taking that into account. Talk to us a little bit about the broader, you know, outside of wheat, corn and soybeans. What what were the big takeaways from uh, Monday's report? Yes. Well, uh, we knew that we had a slightly higher planning estimate from that June 30th uh, report. So we're now up to 92.7 million planted acres. That gave us a little bigger crop estimate of roughly 15.2 uh, billion bushels. And it translated to a little higher ending stocks number of 1.43 billion bushels for the new crop season. Now that's, uh, it was a little higher than expected, but it's still roughly in line um, with with expectations. And keep in mind, Sarah, we have not really factored in any weather to the yield estimate yet. The, the yield estimates on corn and beans both stayed unchanged uh, in this report. And we're, we're just going to, USDA likes to get more data in uh, about weather and crop conditions before they change those yield estimates. So that that really hasn't even been in play yet. How was it, market reactions to all of that over the last 24 hours or so? Uh, well, it was generally bullish, but I should point out that corn and soybeans were actually trading higher before the report uh, because we started, we came into the new week uh, with a weekend of uh, generally favorable rains, but a lot of severe weather. And overall, I would say the rain amounts and the rain coverage was less than expected over the weekend. So when we started Monday's markets, corn and beans were already higher before the report. After the report was done, corn was up 16 cents and November beans up uh, 21. So it, it, overall, still a bullish response. Yeah. Are you expecting for the next, you know, at least couple of months to see that weather driving the market more than maybe some of these reports coming out of USDA? Yeah. And in fact, we've already been on that track uh, for quite a while with a, a few exceptions and distractions along the way. But yeah, I, I our, our focus on guessing yield estimates now is going to grow even more intense and it, it's going to be all about 
not only the forecast, but what are the actual rain amounts that are coming through? Because in a lot of times, uh, the forecasts quite aren't living up to their billing and, and we're just not getting the coverage uh, that we need yet. Yeah, let's dig into that, the the weather question a little bit. You know, obviously what's happening in the Northern Plains is really capturing attention uh, just because of the severity. But, you know, talk about other weather you're tracking throughout the Midwest. Are you, um, is it, are we kind of looking at marginal changes at this point or are you still expecting there could be some major impacts, you know, between now and harvest? Uh, well, it, you know, it, I think everything is significant this year because our, our supply situation is so tight. So, you know, in past years, if we had 2 billion bushels of surplus, we could get by with a little dry weather here and there, or, you know, we could mark off maybe the Dakotas and not worry so much. But this year where we only have a billion bushels of carry on beans and maybe 135 million bushels or, or somewhere around that region for, uh, for soybeans, uh, I think I said beans earlier. Sorry. I meant a billion bushels for corn and 135 million bushels for soybeans. With supplies that tight, every little uh, weather change really matters this year. And so the market's a little more volatile than usual about these things. And uh, there's some quick knee-jerk responses uh, in the markets to every little change in the forecast. And I I just think that's probably going to continue. We still have, it's not just the Dakotas that uh, are a concern for the Corn Belt. We've got Minnesota uh, looking rather dry. Northern Iowa missed out on weekend rains. Now, this week's forecast gives them a little better chance uh, to get some of that rain back, but still, uh, it's it's just less than ideal conditions in Iowa and Minnesota this year. And of course, those are big producing states. In Illinois, uh, it should be uh, fantastic conditions this year because they've had moderate temperatures and plenty of rain. But in a lot of areas, they've had too much rain. And so that's uh, kind of kept their crop conditions lower than normal. Yeah, I've seen a lot of mixed. Uh, yeah, you can go on Twitter any given day and see a bunch of bunch of really dry fields and a bunch of way too wet fields. Yes, exactly. And of course, it's always hard to sort that out, you know, because uh, sometimes those are just very local regions. But uh, overall, w- this is not looking like the kind of year where we would have a record corn yield. Having touched on the supply kind of side of this, uh, you know, in terms of corn in particular, what are you watching on the demand side? How are exports looking, ethanol demand, any changes or shifts you're watching there? Well, exports, uh, export activity has really dropped off for the U.S. the past uh, several months. And of course, it started when uh, Brazil got a big record soybean harvest and our soybean attention shifted there in kind of late February, early March. And corn activity has slowed down late, uh, recently also, even though uh, Brazil is having a horrible time with their corn crop this year. They've had extensive drought, and then they got a late freeze in the southern crop areas that uh, caught uh, crops uh, vulnerable. Um, so, uh, you know, one of, one of the major four exporters is kind of out of the market this year as far as being a competition threat. Uh, so that leaves the U.S. in good position for future corn exports. But uh, lately, our, our activity has been uh, quite quite low and quite slow. On the other demand factors, we did get a 25 million bushel boost in feed demand in the current season. Uh, and I think that was related to the lower grain stocks number that we saw on June 30th. 
I was surprised. I thought we might get another maybe 50 million bushel bump in the ethanol uh, demand because uh, ethanol production has sustained a, a much better, stronger pace uh, in the last two months. And uh, I still think we'll probably get uh, another increase in the ethanol demand number uh, before we get to the end of this season. And in terms of prices there, I mean, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, how production is going around the world, especially for corn. Uh, what, what do you, but, but, and yet prices have ticked down a little bit for corn. Are you expecting them to, is that a downward trend? Do you think they're kind of leveling out here? What's your outlook right now? You know, that that's one where I have to scratch my head and wonder uh, just what's happening here because we hear so much about uh, Brazil's corn crop being in horrible condition. They, they've gotten basically no rain since planting time. Uh, and then that freeze I mentioned and yet you look at the chart of FOB corn prices for Brazil, and they've been trending lower since early May. And they're actually, uh, if you look at the August comparison with the U.S. Gulf, they're actually cheaper than us. So that's that's a bit of a puzzle to me, and I, I don't quite know how to explain that. Typically, uh, you know, if, if we had that horrible of a crop, we would be seeing rising prices into harvest. Uh, but aside from that... <laughs> Um, the, the clues from China are still that uh, China's corn prices are expensive, over $10 a bushel. They're uh, near their lowest ends of this year, but they are holding support so far. And um, USDA did reaffirm uh, in Monday's report that they expect China to import 26 million metric tons, which is roughly a billion bushels of corn and roughly the same amount we saw in the previous season. So as far as we can tell, the the, the demand for new crop corn uh, from China will still be there. And is that just at this point then just a question of timing? Or is that, are we expecting that to come, you know, close to harvest here in the U.S. or it could come at any time? Uh, yeah, good question. So China's already uh, signed up for over 400 million bushels of new crop corn. Typically, you know, uh, they don't, of course, tell us their plans about when they're going to buy the next batch, but they, their MO has been that they kind of buy it sporadically and in uh, big chunks now and then and kind of unexpectedly. So uh, I, I would imagine, uh, you know, we'll see maybe they're hoping to take advantage of a lower price at harvest time or uh, it's hard to say what their uh, plan for that is, but they tend to spread it out through the year. All, taking all of this into account, how what is corn basis looking like at the moment? It's still quite strong uh, and still I would describe it as the strongest level in eight years. As we look at cash corn bids uh, around the Midwest, we're still looking at prices in roughly the low $6 range. Our DTN National Corn Index has a national average of $6.08. So that's, that's down over a dollar a bushel over the past two months but it's still a very attractive level and it's still uh, quite strong compared to the futures board. So uh, there seems to be nothing wrong at all with the demand for old crop corn and the fact that we do have tight supplies there. Todd, we'll be right back to you after this quick word from our sponsor. Control your harvest, control your cost and increase your profit. Socket Manufacturing is here to help you do it. 
Suckup Grain Storage drying and handling products provide solutions that help you protect and preserve the world's grain supply. And Suckup Steel Buildings protect the tools and equipment you use to produce it. Visit sukup.com to find your local Suckup dealer today and learn how we can help you store now and profit later. Suckup Manufacturing Company, engineering solutions since 1963. And we're back again. Joining us today is DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. Todd, switching over to soybeans, um, what are you watching in terms of soy demand uh, at the moment? It, strong exports, crush, What's the what are the key drivers right now? Yes. Well, as far as the U.S. is concerned, our soybean exports have really dropped off dramatically uh, since China's attention went to Brazil in, say, early March. Uh, but... Uh, of course, that doesn't last forever, and they'll eventually work through that pile of soybeans in Brazil. And uh, one of the the indicators that we have of looking at that is we compare the FOB prices of soybean prices in Brazil versus the U.S., and uh, that has really narrowed dramatically. On June 1st, we were roughly a dollar above the Brazil price here in the U.S., uh, and that uh, has narrowed now to less than a dime apart. So it's, it still looks to me as if China is uh, still got a big appetite for soybeans. They're working through that big Brazilian harvest very quickly, and I expect that they'll be back looking for more U.S. soybeans within the next month. Uh, they've already started some new crop purchases, but uh, as by all indications, uh, they're going to be another big customer again in the season ahead. Uh, USDA, uh, for the record, did slightly lower the import estimate of China's soybeans from 103 to 102 million metric tons, but I, I still think that uh, both of those numbers are are too low given the scenario we're looking at. The other feature that's important to understand is Politically, China is making a big effort to increase corn production and find other uh, feed grain sources other than corn uh, to use in their system. Now, I don't know how successful they're going to be at that, but that's their political hope. And part of that, though, is that as they're trying to expand corn production this year, it's coming at the sacrifice of some of their soybean production. So I think that just leaves them more reliant on importing soy, soybeans than they've ever been before. And uh, so we have seen the prices of soybeans tick down a little bit over the last several weeks. Is that, so from your perspective, is that about Brazil, demand shifting to Brazil a little bit and you expect those prices to go back up later in the season? Or is that just like coming down off the high, you know, maybe a little bit of over exuberance and now this, where we are now is the more kind of like steady range. Where, how are you understanding soybean prices at the moment? Yeah, I think there's a couple things there. And you're right on the first one that uh, when uh, China's attention shifted to Brazil in, say, early March, uh, that that started to uh, ease a lot of the demand pressure we had on our U.S. soybean prices here in the U.S. Now, our prices peaked in about early May. But since then, my goodness, the, the drop in cash soybean prices uh, they're down roughly two and a half dollars from two months ago. Uh, it's it's really been quite a drop. And I think the surprise part of that uh, drop this summer has been that uh, there was such a strong commercial thrust 
to buy and secure soybean supplies in late April and early May that I suspect that a lot of that commercial need got fulfilled. And it seemed like when it was done, it was done. And then the bottom just kind of fell out there. So the the cash soybean price has uh, actually corrected much more sharply than the corn price has. And uh, that's been surprising to me because, you know, I, uh, we've been under the impression all along that these soybean type supplies are still very tight here uh, in the U.S. and and don't show really any hope of uh, increasing a, a surplus or carry in the new season ahead. Considering the full kind of yeah the that longer term picture of prices, what is that has that meant for basis in the last few last month or so? Yeah, it, well, uh, the cash basis uh, currently is 42 cents above the November contract. It's kind of an awkward period in here where, you know, we were going off of the July contract, but now the July is in delivery. So we're trans transitioning now, the market is, uh, to the November. So it, it gets a little tr uh, tricky to kind of track basis in there, but it's still uh, very strong historically. Um, but uh, we, I think we have to keep in the context that we've had this big two and a half drop dollar drop in both cash and futures prices. So uh, those two things uh, going together suggest that supplies are still tight, but that real strong urgency of demand we saw earlier this year has, has uh, really peaked out significantly. I'm curious as well, you know, taking the three these three major grain crops into account together. Obviously, we know in one when you know for example, how tight soybean supplies have been for the last several months has been a boon for corn prices and wheat prices. You know, as we see this report where wheat took a little bit more of center stage because of the drought conditions in the, uh, the Northern Plains, are you conscious or watching that any amount of this, you know, for example, the, the rise in soybean prices earlier this year or other things we're seeing in corn is actually, is just like these three crops basically like playing off each other's demand and how much of that is actually real, you know, need and use. Yeah. Well, you raise an important topic there because there is a very strong correlation, not only among grain prices, but among all commodity prices. And certainly we've seen uh, cash, uh, corn and soybean prices as they were in this strong bull market rally led by all this demand from China. We saw that also pull up the wheat price, even though, you know, we kept saying, well, fundamentally, wheat doesn't have as strong a case going for it and so forth and so on. Uh, but there, there definitely is a, a, a kind of a rising tide uh, effect there. Now that wheat is starting to get more adverse weather situations and its fundamental situation is tightening up uh, in terms of supplies, that even has a, a bullish supportive effect back toward corn and soybeans. <laughs> uh, and uh, so so they do play off of each other uh, quite a bit. And uh, I, I think there was uh, no accident yesterday that even though the report really wasn't technically very bullish for corn, we still did see a 16 cent jump. And, and I think uh, wheat certainly contributed to that. Before we jump into some broader topics, I want to touch on uh, livestock production, because obviously that's the the flip side of the good grain prices coin is how that is felt uh, for livestock producers. So 
what did what kind of information are we seeing about feed demand? What kind of information are we seeing about how pork or beef production might change in the next several months? Any updates there? Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned, USDA did raise the feed estimate in the old crop season of corn, 25 million bushels. Um, and that's always a hard category because the entry on the USDA report is feed and residual which could mean almost anything for any reason gets thrown into that account sometimes. So it's, it's hard technically to pull out just uh, what USDA estimates for feed and what they estimate for residual. But in the, if we step back a little bit from the USDA report, it's fair to say that there's been a lot of liquidation of the cattle herd going on uh, really since COVID, since the low prices hit last year, but also with all the drought happening in in the plains this year and the lack of hay and the rising corn and hay prices. Uh, There's a lot of liquidation going on in cattle. We have not seen it yet in the on-feed numbers. We're still close to the highest numbers of cattle on feed, uh, I think the second highest total since 1996. So we haven't officially seen that drop in the cattle uh, herd yet, but I, I, I think everybody understands that it's happening this year. And there's probably going to be more evidence as we get later in the year, in the fall and winter period. For hogs, um, COVID obviously took a big hit to the inventory number. um, And it was hard to get a handle on just how much. But we have seen uh, slaughter reduced this year. And I think it's basically just from best we can tell, it's just that the hog numbers have not been there this year. whether it's due to PERS or the previous uh, liquidation of hogs when the meat processing plants uh, were down, uh, whatever it is, the the hog numbers are down roughly 3% this year. And I don't think there's going to be, well, uh, I I don't see a rapid expansion returning those hog numbers just yet. Um, So both of that, I think, would have a, a, a bit of a, Uh, kind of a steady to lower tone for the feed demand estimates uh, into the new crop season ahead. But, um, you know, by and large, people are still eating, even in China, where we still keep hearing about African swine flu and uh, or fever and and, uh, so forth. Uh, People are still going to keep eating. So, uh, you know, they'll they'll continue to find protein in the diet. And uh, so I don't expect a big hit to feed demand there, but uh, the num- there are reasons for the numbers to be a little softer in the season ahead. Well, and speaking of, you know, kind of that that consumer demand for, for beef and other beef, pork, other food items, um, I'm curious how you're thinking, you know, I think especially today and this week, there's a big focus in the wider economy on inflation and how, you know, consumer prices maybe are ticking up at the moment, some of the highest we've seen in you know, since 2008 or so, are you watching how those inflation numbers might be affecting agricultural markets? And are you expecting, you know, I think the debate right now is, are these kind of transitory, temporary, you know, related to the end of the pandemic? Or are these, you know, are we seeing the beginning of a long-term trend of inflation? What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I, I see it as definitely related a lot to the transition coming out of the pandemic. But also, uh, you kind of have to look at each commodity on its own because each commodity kind of has its own individual, unique situation. And so, um, 
yes, of course, uh, uh, you know, the level of rising consumer prices and all of that plays a part. And, and uh, then, of course, it has repercussions on what the Fed does eventually with interest rates. I think the Fed is wise so far to play it a little bit cool and allow some of this inflation. Uh, not the, I don't think they're going to let anything get out of hand. But uh, I think in the early stages, it's, it's wise of them not to overreact to some rising uh, inflation numbers simply because it's very hard as our economy rebounds to put back a lot of this production very quickly. Uh, and um, so, it, and now uh, if you just look at the ag prices alone, you know, we have uh, this horrendous situation of liquidating cattle in the drought situation. We have um, PERS and, and the pandemic hit to hog inventories. So that's going to take a little while to restore uh, pork supply there. And uh, now in the case of wheat, uh, you know, we have some very legitimate uh, and tough drought situations that aren't going away easily this year. So those aren't necessarily um, runaway inflation in terms of monetary problems, but they are production challenges that are going to have a big impact on prices this year. Uh, so as we look ahead, you know, we have just a couple more WASDs before we get into kind of harvest adjacent WASDs. What are you watching for as we go into the second half of the summer? Uh, are, is it is it all weather all the time? Are there other reports that you think might shift some some perspectives around? Well, uh, as long as the economy seems to keep doing well and, you know, unfortunately, knock on wood, this the the COVID uh, topic is not going away easily. And uh, we still have days where uh, we're spooked by new variants or uh, places of rising infections around the world. But overall, as long as the economy is doing well, the driving demand is up and doing well. Um, the, the, the kind of basic fundamental lay of the land is in place for us. Then, uh, you know, mostly we're focused on weather and, um, and, and we need to see some rain coverage and, uh, and, and, you know, delineate where we're getting the rain and where we're not. And that's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of the focus for the next few months. You can read Todd's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag markets at dtnpf.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Todd Holtman. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. Control your harvest, control your cost, and increase your profit. Sookup Manufacturing is here to help you do it. Sookup offers a full line of bins ranging from small on-farm storage bins to large commercial tanks, including our 2.2 million bushel bin, the world's largest free-span bin. All Sookup bins are constructed from high-grade steel. Visit sukup.com to find your local Sookup dealer today and learn how we can help you store now and profit later.